general nerdery. In the beginning, there was darkness. And from the darkness came the multiverse and the new age of heroes. Until that age, two generals of nerdery made a podcast about liking things. Hi, guys. <laughs> My original plan was to quote the entire intro of Crisis and Infinite Earths there, and then we watched it again, and I really quickly went, yeah, I'm not doing that. Uh, anyways, this is General Nerdery, where you're generals of nerdery. Uh, I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. That was that was really good. It, it worked. I, that I'm, was really good. I'm enjoying being goofy. So, as you might have surmised from, I mean, honestly, if you're listening to this, you've probably already seen the title of the episode. So, yeah, it's not a surprise, but we're doing Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, probably mostly the comic, because you've only seen one I episode have, of the crisis. I was so determined I was going to watch all three and then I didn't, because I was telling you about this at work. The moment that, like, I have to watch or read something, it becomes homework. And I am really shitty at homework. No, I understand. I put it off till last night, and then I ended up having a really, really cramped morning because of all the shit I had to get done suddenly. I admit... Also, I'm... fucking commercials. Oh, uh, my God. I mean, I... I love that I can stream this show for free, but... Uh, I haven't had commercials in a long time because most of the things I watch are on Netflix or Disney Plus at this point. Like, let's be honest. Uh, and so I, yeah, streamed it on CW or whatever it is, and it is really disconcerting. Also, lots of ads about the same puppy, to the point that I was starting to dislike the puppy. Yeah, that's hard to do. <laughs> it's a puppy. It was an adorable puppy, too. I don't remember what the ad was. Uh, but, I mean... Kind of the reason we're deciding to hit Crisis this early, other than the fact that we've already brought it up. It was in the, the DC first topic episode. you and I like were for sure going to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're doing the crossover on CW. It's kind of a big deal, and especially because we didn't get this podcast started quick soon enough to have covered something like Infinity War. Yeah, this is this is our first big superhero crossover thing and considering that the only review we've gotten so far is i like it when you talk about comic history oh we got a review oh, people cool. liked it when i talked about comic history i forgot yes. to tell you about that thank you hopefully more than one of you like that but lost track of what i was saying there oh yeah this was my chance to talk more comic book history well before we do that are we gonna have some news we have a little bit of news i didn't look at a whole lot of news this week because we're also going to try to make a switch to weekly, and so I only grab shit from the last week. Yep, that's probably a good idea. So, and most of what I have, honestly, is like a little bit of Star Wars-centric. We're, we're just at that, well, one, the last movie in the saga came out, and we're just at that point in January where not a lot of new stuff is coming out yet. Like, we had the holiday bump, and then it's going to get quiet-ish for two or three months until suddenly Comic-Con hype starts building up. Uh, so we have a release date for the seventh season of Clone Wars. Awesome. When? Uh, February 17th. Oh, that's pretty close. Yeah, so I should probably finish getting through the rest of it. Yeah. Also, you should watch Rebels, but you probably won't need it for Clone Wars. I'm just going to keep saying watch Rebels. That, that's just going to be a thing for me. Uh, apparently they're looking to cast a young Luke for the Obi-Wan series. Okay. You can't really have Mark Hamill playing a, like, ten-year-old kid. He'd try. He'd go all in, but I don't think it would work. Uh, <laughs> I forgot they were doing the Obi-Wan series. I'm excited about that one. 
I'm not as excited as I was about The Mandalorian, but mostly because with Mando, we saw a bunch of stuff we'd never seen before, right. at least on TV, while we have seen lots of Jedi stuff. But at the same time, Ewan McGregor is the part of the prequels that has aged the best, so... Uh, I Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, the Obi-Wan show's been a long time coming, as we found out, when it turns out he had to keep shut up about it. Yeah, Ewan years. McGregor being like, I've been lying for years and no one believed me, it was so hard. Like, So I'm hoping that if they were sitting on it for this long, they've really refined oh, what they're going to do with yeah, it. Yeah, I believe in them. I, I was reading today a story about episode one... And Ewan McGregor could not stop making lightsaber noises, apparently, the entire time. And they had to redo takes. They're like, Ewan, Ewan, we're going to put that in. You you, you don't got to do it, buddy. Like, doesn't doesn't famous, like, famously, like, almost everybody have a hard time not doing pew-pew with the laser blasters? Oh, my God. That's amazing. I didn't know that. I do know that almost any time I pick up a stick, part of me goes... So, yeah. Uh... And then my last little bit that I have that Star Wars is uh, the current rumor is that the next movie is going to be set during the High Republic era. The High Republic. What is the High Republic That's era? going to be about 400 years prior to New Hope. You know, we have almost nothing, even in the EU of that era. Like, we have as far back as, like, a thousand. And then they have the Clone Wars era. I've never really seen that, like, Republic at its... One of its best points, because they had, like, found, for the most part, peace and hadn't fully descended into bureaucracy yet. At least how it was before. Who knows what it's going to be in this one. But I like it. Uh, and I think, I'm not sure where in the old EU Darth Bane lands in that time About period. a thousand years. About a thousand. Because they uh, everything that I've seen, people are making sure to point out that this is post-Bane. Yeah, uh, because of the rule of two. Yeah, Bane still counts, too. Bane's one of the few things that does because he appears oh. in an episode of Clone Wars. A oh, ghost shit. of him appears in an episode okay. of Clone Wars. Sorry, just spoiled you. Show came out like I, five years ago. Right, whatever uh, it happens. <laughs> uh, we get excited. But, I mean, that's going to be an overall warning for the show. We get excited sometimes. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, poor Yui still hasn't seen Rise of Skywalker yet. And they were the only person in oh, my no. game group that hadn't. And we were all not oh, no. doing a great job, but not directly spoiling anything big. Yui hasn't seen it yet? I'm working on it. The The plan was Tuesday, and then Tuesday was Christmas, and it's just... We'll get there. They haven't seen that R2 at the end? No. They're too busy being excited over Swole R2-D2 from uh, Mandalorian. Oh, that, sorry. That's the one I was thinking of. No. Uh, that's the one I'm thinking, thinking of Rise of Skywalker here. Yeah, sorry that they have my not bad. seen it. I just... I was really excited about a dro seeing a droid, and I'm like, "Are Yui's going to love it? No, with that one that I think they're going to love is uh, from Rise of Skywalker, the droid with, like, space boundaries. Because right, I liked that. I really liked that little droid. I, I like I'm telling droids. you, Go-Go Dodo. That's all I can think of, <laughs> is Go-Go Dodo. I haven't watched it yet, partially because I'm not all the way caught up, but Doctor Who has returned. I watched Spyfall Part 1. I have not watched Spyfall Part 2 yet. It's good. It's really good, honestly. Um, have you watched any of the Jodie Whittaker Doctor? I watched, I think, her first two episodes okay. so far. I really like her. Uh, and I know that she's very divisive. I, I've definitely liked um, what I've seen so far from her. I just... Uh, 
it's one of the few really nerdy things that I've actually managed to get my girlfriend into. Oh, okay. And she's just about to... We really went hard on a lot of the new Who to the point where I burned her out. Yeah. That, oh, that's not hard to do with a show as cheesy as new Who. Uh. So she's just about to the point again where we can restart up. So I've been sort of saving up a backlog for us to just yeah, knock I feel, out together. I feel you there. But Jodie Whittaker's season is so different, or I guess seasons now, mm-hmm. is so different. Uh, the first season, the New Year's special, what they did instead of a Christmas special, has a Dalek in it. But other than that, they did not use a single pre-existing species from Doctor Who. There's no Daleks, there's no Cybermen, there's no Master in the, her first season, which forced them to try new things and go places that they hadn't before. Uh, and it, it, I thought it was really refreshing, and it was a much quieter interested explorer rather than doctor being the lonely god that he had kind of become mm-hmm. uh and i like lonely god too but it was just nice to see something new this one felt i mean first of all it was a love letter to bond films and mm, i love me some bond films see i the thing that i found really interesting when i noticed that it was spyfall and mm-hmm. obviously skyfall uh, yeah but obviously it was supposed to be a bond mm-hmm. thing was just like two weeks before the Flash did a Bond episode. Nerd things love Bond episodes almost as much as they love Christmas episodes. With uh, Ralph, basically as Bond. Yeah. Okay. I'll watch Elongated Man Bond. Um, it was amazing. I thought of you while watching it. I'm oh, like, of course. You will love this Elongated <laughs> Man Bond. <laughs> but final thought on Doctor Who is this new episode feels a lot like kind of a mix of some of the more old Doctor of a little more actiony, a little more like big stakes, but still with that much quieter, less all-knowing doctor than we had gotten with. Like, Capaldi knew everything. And he did great at knowing everything. Mm-hmm. But he knew everything. It was those eyebrows. <laughs> those eyebrows hold terabytes of information. Amazing. <laughs> Peta- petabytes. <laughs> God. The other big thing that I was going to bring, the, the news actually changed this morning. It was kind of a big deal when it, we found out last week that we are, in fact, still going to get the New Mutants. Yeah, I did not think that was... The, the people in New Mutants didn't think that was going to happen. Uh, if you guys don't know, New Mutants was made by Fox before it, the merger. It was recorded, I want to say, before Dark Phoenix even, but it got pushed back and it pushed back. It got pushed back and pushed back, and then, the, then Disney bought Fox, and people were like, what the fuck's going to happen to it? Yeah, and the, I remember there's been lots of interviews with actors because they'd be asked, like, what's going on with New Mutants? Like, that trailer came out, like, two years ago. They're like, I don't know, man. I just uh, acted in it. It's awesome. Please release it. I'm going to be so mad if you don't. We even talked about it on Fried Squirms because that first teaser that they put out two years ago or whatever it was, very strong horror vibe. Oh, this new one, too. And that's the thing. This morning, we got the trailer. Yeah. Uh, the first full trailer. I you and say. I watched it right before we started recording because I hadn't seen it yet. And the the thing that stuck out to me is they did that. It was it was also done in Nightmare on Elm Street where like people come through the wall and it looks like yeah. the wall is instead of using like CGI, although they might have on this one. They just you can do it just as well with white stretchy fabric. Yeah, white stretchy fabric, and then a person sneaks through, or and it's creepy as all get out. So yes, good job. 
it, it definitely had, and I mean, I'm not a horror fan, so I don't know a ton, but it definitely had that old school horror feel to the point that, is it supposed to take place in the modern day? I believe so. Because it felt super 80s to me. I could see it. Well, and oh, from what I understand is it's at, at the very least been re-edited. Yeah, they did a lot of reshoots, if I remember. That's part of the reason why I got pushed back so far. But I think a lot of those reshoots were done under Fox still. I don't know how many of them were done under Disney. I didn't hear... I don't know. I know it was right... But I think the re-editing was done under Disney so that the thing that stood out to me about the trailer is that when they first mentioned the word mutants at the very beginning when it's like the group session, I yeah. can't remember what the person says, but like, have you ever heard of mutants or something like that? And then... In the Fox world, that would have been like, fucking duh, but... But if, it's like, have you ever heard of mutants? And then we saw the Marvel logo. This could be a really good way to introduce it into the wider cinematic universe and still use these good actors that they got for it. I mean, they have, what, Maisie Williams and uh, kind of methy looking Stranger Things guy. That's really mean. I liked him a <laughs> lot. He's uh, got those heavy bags that I got when I got old. Uh, I think that's the, the doctor lady. I think that's supposed to be Dr. Kavina Rao. Who was from the Joss Whedon Astonishing run. Let's see. We have uh, Anya Taylor-Joy playing Ilyana Rasputin, Magic. Colossus' is Wolf sister. Uh, Maisie is Wolfsbane, Rain Sinclair. Werewolf Ron. Lady. Ron? Ron? Ron, I think. I don't know. It's spelled R-A-H-N-E. Uh, Charlie Heaton as Cannonball. I'm so excited. Cannonball is one of my favorite. Uh, Henry Zaga. Zaga? As Sunspot. Mm-hmm. Blue Hunt as Mirage. Uh, Alice Braga as uh, Cecilia Reyes. Oh, she's doctor. Cecilia Reyes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Reyes is one of, from one of the first X-Men comics I ever got as a little kid. Uh, and then the Demon Bear. Yeah, we were talking about that. There's no, there's not really a huge X-Men story to do that's not the Demon Bear. Or not X-Men, sorry, New Mutants. So I'm really not surprised that came up. Do you have a favorite New Mutant? I don't know if you've ever read much or... I I know hardly... I don't know hardly anything about the New Mutants. New Mutants wasn't something that really interested me until literally, like, probably till I saw that teaser. And I'm like, who are these characters? And then I read more about them and... Well, and I've not read much of the Claremont New Mutants run. Um, it's not my favorite Claremont work... But I have way more of, like, the 90s X-Force series than I want to admit to. Uh, which was, like, after Rob Liefeld left that book and Greg Capullo stepped on, it was awesome. But X-Force was just the new mutants teaming up with Cable and going on. And it's mm-hmm. basically the same team. Ilyana's dead by that point. She comes back. It happens. All right, so one of the things you immediately pointed out when we were watching it was... This place doesn't seem to be connected to Xavier. No. Xavier's made some iffy questions in his life, but that is... Mm. Uh, so what I do know is that originally under Fox, it was supposed to, apparently, from things that have been said by people in interviews, is that we were going to get a post-credits where it was being run by Mr. Sinister. If you're going to do a creepy hospital and you have access to Mr. Sinister... It doesn't make sense to use any other character. And I'm not a huge Mr. Sinister fan. He's not 
one of my top X-Men villains, but he's perfect for that. And I still always thought that X-Men First Class made a mistake by using Sebastian Shaw where oh, they did. Yeah. Because that character would have worked so much better as Mr. Sinister doing all of that. All of that stuff. Also, Kevin Bacon would have been an insane Mr. Sinister. I would have watched the shit out of that. Uh, it was apparently going to be John Hamm playing Mr. Sinister. I would also watch the shit out of that. Now all that we know is that Antonio Banderas has been played, has been cast to play somebody in a post credit scene uh, as an undisclosed villain. I would watch that, but I don't like it as much as John Hamm. And it's sounding like it's probably not actually going to be Mr. Sinister anymore. Oh, okay. Well, who would you think it is? I have no fucking idea if it's not going to be Mr. Sinister, because like you pointed out, that's fucking perfect. <laughs> yeah, he's, for this he's setup. the one to do. Uh, and I think, did they officially announce it, or Ryan Reynolds hinted at there being a Deadpool 3? Sounds like he confirmed it. I haven't read the articles about it, but at the very least, it's being actively like, please let us make that Deadpool money talked about. So if Deadpool's going to be in the, is part of the MCU, then in Deadpool 2, the the place that the, the kids were at, that the kid went back to get revenge mm, yeah. was like the Nathaniel Essex school. Oh, I forgot about that. Or it had, the, it was like the Essex Academy or something. That would be perfect. Yeah. As I said, Sinister's not my, be my favorite X-Men villain, but he's a really good one for creepy experimentation. Like there's others, but no one quite pulls it off as well as Sinister. I love uh, his look. Yeah. I desperately want them to have the weird, like, long ribbon cape thing yeah. he has i love the ribbon cape do, do you know what his originally planned like chris claremont's planned origin story for him was i know i've read it because mr sinister he was an evil captain marvel basically oh okay he was like uh, the billy batson style like he was a little kid also at that orphanage who could transform into this like adult super villain and uh that's why he had such a goofy that's why Name. it's Mr. Sinister. Yeah, yeah, because it's so over the top in a way that only, like, an eight-year-old kid could do. Mm -hmm. uh, but he ended up leaving the X-Men books before it ever revealed the origin, and they rewrote it as Nathaniel Essex, Darwin of Evil, mm -hmm. which I actually really, like, that's the part of Sinister story that I enjoy when you go back to, like... For whatever reason, you're back in Victorian era, and holy shit, that man has a red diamond on his thing. We're all going to die. Like, <laughs> um, have in recent years hasn't Mister Sinister been made like extremely camp? I'm positive I've seen comic panels. Sinister has been all over the map because he went. He was Mister Sinister, you know, classic Mister mm -hmm. Sinister, and then he had a female body for a while. And he was Miss Sinister. And then he got his male body back. And then he was just kind of jumping back and forth like Loki in the old school stories <laughs> way. Which I kind of love, actually. Yeah. I have no problem with Mr. Sinister being this insane Victorian era mad scientist that's been poking genetics for so long. Uh, that just like... <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, um, oh, what am I... He gets... He, at least once he builds himself a city full of Mr. Sinister clones. Like, they add a little bit of that, like, Spider-Man the Jackal edge of crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he becomes obsessed with Iceman for a while, and, like, he's, like, 
while prepping for this big fight with Iceman is like ballet dancing, not ballet dancing, like ballroom dancing with himself. Yes. In a big thing. Uh, and he's actually in a really big role in the X-Men stories right now and where he's apparently gone a whole new level of camp. Have you read any of Powers and House of X? I have been actually holding it off just to suggest that we do an episode. Hey, do it. you mind if I spoil like one... I have actually been reading articles. Oh, okay, cool. So if I so it's all spoiled. Uh, in it there is a new like mutant council and all mutants are unified in a way that they've never been before and like the 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 top 3 leaders of this mutant state is Magneto, Apocalypse and Professor X. And then like there's another group of 3 that's like Storm, Nightcrawler and Mr. Sinister as like one of the big sets of leaders. And so Mr. Sinister's working with the X-Men and, like, working for Xavier and has been banned from cloning. Um, and he's real pissed about it. And you're all like, come on, Professor X, there's no way this wasn't going to go terribly. Like, Oh, that's great. Now, they, those stories sound insane and awesome. And, like, they've completely rewritten what we're going to think of as mutants going forward in Marvel. So, um, I've read the first issue of both and they were good. I, I mean, I always liked Jonathan Hickman. He mm. is a wonderful, he might be the best ideas guy in comics. Uh, his writing tends to, his characters tend to be a little wooden. He's not the best at the personality and the dialogue. Like go, go to Mark Wade for that or, mm-hmm. uh, Busiek, Kurt Busiek. Um, but he does really weird ideas and he will stretch an idea as far as he can, sometimes to breaking point. And then in his own words, he will carefully put all the toys back in the box. So he's going to take X-Men to such a long, bizarre direction and spend three years making X-Men epic in a way that it hasn't, as much as I love old X-Men, probably has never been epic on this scale before. And then he's going to carefully put everything away. So I'm watching this entire way being like, how are you going to take him from point A to point B to a point C that's close enough to point A that other characters or other people can do stuff with this again without having to completely reinvent the wheel? Mm -hmm. Uh, I haven't picked up the collection, though, because it's $60 and I am poor. (laughs) So I I really want to, but I'm probably going to have to wait till the paperback comes out. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah, I I don't know. They should go Mr. Sinister. Who knows what they're actually going to do. Yeah. Uh, and then I know you wanted uh, to mention about the new Thor. Donny Cates launched the new Thor 1. Uh, we talked about the design, I think, on one of our early episodes. I think we might have. Uh, where we're like, it's really cool, but he kind of looks like a dark elf. Uh, it's strange. And it's still strange, but they at least finally explained it. It sounds like in this one he might have become a Herald of Galactus. I saw a big picture of his new look. He suddenly has his arm again. He's got his eyeball back after the uh, Jason Aaron run. I'm going to miss miss him having the left arm of the Destroyer. I'm going to miss the beard and the, like, bulky. This new one looks way skinnier than I'm used to seeing Thor, and I want Thor to be, like... It's lithe. <laughs> yeah, which is a weird description for Thor. But he's... The, the picture I saw with it called him the Herald of Thunder, but either way, he has the power cosmic, so he's... King Thor, Odin's son, ruler of Asgard, plus the, all of the Silver Surfer's powers in theory, or some variation of it. Now, I haven't read a ton of Thor over the years, mm-hmm. but I have read 
a ton of Jason Aaron. You've read Thor. way more of Jason Aaron run than I have. One of my favorite things that Jason Aaron continually did without throughout that run is play with mantles of power and playing with the different titles that people end up with when these mantles are passed. Yeah, so I'm curious what he's gonna. And so I'm so excited to see that from the get go. He's got a new mantle of power. Yeah, that that Cates is continuing that. I'm excited for it. I haven't read a ton of Donny Cates because his biggest run has been uh, Venom. And oh, I've just mm-hmm. never super connected with a Venom solo thing. Like, I like him in Spider-Man, but too much Venom in one place gets a bit much for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's... I've been hearing rave reviews of stuff that he's doing there. And I read his Cosmic Ghost Rider miniseries, and it's some of the most fun I've had with Marvel in a long time. That's on my very soon to read. List. Uh, I mean, if you want the hard copy, I'll just lend it to you. I've got it's. I don't. That's the sort of thing that I will chomp through very, very quickly. Again, I love everything, and then I always seem to talk about the stuff I don't like on this podcast. And I'm not a big Punisher fan, but Cosmic Ghost Rider being like insane Punisher who becomes the Ghost Rider and then becomes a Herald of Galactus and is just Fruit Loops is so much more fun than it has any right to be. Uh, and I've read, right a, my I've read a bit of his Guardians of the Galaxy run mm. and it's I, I haven't read enough to have like a strong opinion but it was good. I had fun. Cool. Um, I want to read more of it. Uh, Kate seems to have a, a good sense of the cosmic and I love cosmic Marvel. Bring me some Adam Warlock next, but like we know it's coming. He was just a big character in the Infinity Wars comic book crossover that came out a year or two ago, which I did not read. Right. Uh, I don't read a lot of crossovers anymore, which is funny because we're about to talk about the granddaddy of all crossovers. The crossover? Yeah! The crossover. Before we do that, yeah. what media have you been ingesting lately? Uh, there's this little show... It seems like not many people have heard of it yet. Uh, the Witcher? <laughs> no, I, I'm, not, I'm familiar with it, man. Uh, I've been tossing all my coins to The Witcher. It, they killed it. I love it. It is very quick on my list. I'm trying to get a little farther into Star Trek Next Gen because, oh, other news is Picard drops in like two oh. weeks now. Yeah, I think two or three weeks. Countdown's on. Uh but yeah, Witcher is coming up real fast. I like swords, so I'm pretty sure I'm going to like the Witcher and his sword that looks like it has a smiling face on it. Yeah. I don't know if it's I supposed think. to look like that, but it's what I see. They, this is, it's such a good adaptation. And they're make they're cutting all the right fat to make the story interesting and flow smooth. And Well, that's good. Like, I really, I like Henry Cavill, but I. He is Geralt. That's good. And he, I just always thought he was underserved as Superman, so it's fun that he's getting this other character that he can really, like, sink his teeth into and enjoy himself with. And even with the uh, the white wig, there's only, like, two times in all the episodes that he catches a bad angle and it looks like a bad wig. The, the commercials, it doesn't look quite right for me, but it's also just white hair it on a young person. It only, yeah. When I was, like, 13, I thought, like, long-haired, white, young characters was the coolest thing. And surprise, surprise, I was playing Final Fantasy VII back then. But it's such a hard look to get it to work in reality. I dug it. Toss a coin, your witcher is a jam. It's on my list. I have listened to that song 
oh so many times now. I've heard even a little bit of that. Just I, I, as I said, I've seen bits of it thanks to like the public osmosis that happens when you exist on the internet or a nerd. I but, wasn't. I wasn't too worried about spoilers for this first season because I I already knew that it was an adaptation mm-hmm. of the first book, which is one of the ones that I've actually read. I was told it was a pre. I don't know. I don't actually know enough about The Witcher to ha- to say it's a prequel to the games. Oh, okay. Uh, but it's an adaptation of the first book, mixed with elements from the third book, which is one of the ones I haven't got to yet, but I knew a little bit of because I have read a lot about The Witcher because I thought it's amazing. So cool. Yeah, yeah. I I really want to see it. I just haven't yet i really like wandering monster hunters like give me some vampire hunter d oh my god oh we should watch bloodlust yeah or the original i haven't watched the original i'm getting distracted oh i think i might have bloodlust like i've got bloodlust on dvd i don't know if i have the original but i'll find it let's see what have i been watching lately watching reading ingesting um i just finished a book called under the black flag it is a nonfiction book about the pi- age of pirates in the Caribbean. Oh, cool. It does talk little bits about, like, um, oh, I can't think of her name. She was this Chinese pirate queen in the early 19th century that had a fleet of, like, a thousand junks. So she had so many pirates that worked for her. Mrs. L- I'm not even going to guess. I, I don't know. But she's super cool. But for the I most part. I've heard. I know I've heard it before. Oh, she's so good. Anyway, yeah. uh, look up Chinese Pirate Queen, and it'll you'll find it, people. It'll be great. Uh, but it mostly deals with stuff like Blackbeard, uh, the Caribbean, North American pirates that you know we're obsessed with, thanks to Treasure Island. Honestly, it's it's because <laughs> of Treasure Island and Peter Pan. Very good. A little dry at times. It's a nonfiction book. That's just the yeah. nature of nonfiction books. And then on the far end of that spectrum. I've started reading the Naruto manga. Oh, how's that going? Really interesting, actually, because I was really into manga in high school. And then at, like, 17, I decided I was too cool for manga, which I went to reading Spider-Man again. So it's not like I was actually too cool for manga, but yeah, you. I was a teenager. Uh, and that was when Naruto was, like, the biggest comic in the world. So there was... There's so many people that got into it. I never did. I had, Not that I didn't get into some others, but... I had read some of it, and I really, like, I liked it at first, and then quickly was like, no, this is the cool thing. Hipster, nerd, teenager. Uh, and reading it now, and in realizing quite how good it actually is, now that I can, like, read it away from the hype of it being the biggest comic mm-hmm. book in the world. Uh, there are others I prefer more of the genre. I think My Hero Academia is better, but that's also a manga about superheroes that's just, like, crack for me Mm -hmm. it is interesting to watch or to read uh how much there is very specific beats to the like shonen action comic style that everything like here's the main hero he's kind of a screw-up for whatever reason oh wait he's super powerful because of reasons a b c whatever but Look at him continually doing things he's not supposed to be able to do yet. He's teamed up with these people who are, like, one of which has a mysterious backstory and a bad attitude. The girls love him. And now we're going to do a competition. There's <laughs> always a tournament. And this is not a bad thing. Uh, superheroes have their own, like, A, B, and C plot points that you never really get to. But it's interesting... As a genre, I don't know manga nearly as well, so to to realize some of these behind-the-scene things. 
to still see the tropes. Yeah, and, and to really start to respect them and appreciate them as like tropes that work. Because mm-hmm. the tourney scenes are always cool. Dragon Ball Z does it. Yu Yu Hakusho did it. My Hero Academia, Naruto. Like, I, I, it's just a fun thing. Um, and I don't know manga that well. Like, I, mm-hmm. I read a bunch of it like 15 years ago. So I've always been very selective in my manga. So am I. And by selective, I mean I still read some of the biggest series of all oh, time. Oh, yeah. Like but, Bleach and Full Metal Alchemist. But, but manga, for me, is something that works really well or really badly. Yeah, that's that's more what I'm getting at. Like, some of them, if I don't like it, it's not that I don't like it. It's that I really don't like it. <laughs> yeah. When I was a teenager, I read Love Hina, which is like a teen kind of uh, kind of pervy mm-hmm. harem manga and I like part of me was like maybe I should reread that because I'm reading stuff I read as a teenager and liked and I was like wait no that's a kind of pervy romance manga from the 90s you should just remember that with rose colored glasses and never open it again because <laughs> it's probably terrible oh that's funny I, yeah, I don't know. At some point, I'm, I'm like eight chapters from finishing Full Metal Alchemist from like eight years ago. Well. At one point, I haven't actually have to finish it, but. The nice thing about the fact that we're jumping up to weekly is we are going to have to come up with subjects up the wazoo, so it'll be really easy to be like, and this week it's, flip through, flip through, uh. This. Rurouni Kenshin. Oh, I'll like, down. Uh, I was, I was <laughs> educating some of the kids, uh, that I work with on some Rurouni Kenshin the other day, but. Uh, yeah, I, I saw it in high Kids, school. I like, like it. They're like 20 years old. Oh, but That's, I think, when I officially started feeling old when I was talking to someone. They're like, that came out when I was two. And I'm like, you listen here, you little shit. Yeah. Like, this is amazing. I suddenly Ingested understand now. why my buddy got mad at me when I made fun of him for being remembering when Star Trek came out, when it came out the year I was born. <laughs> uh, next gen. Anyways. Crisis on Infinite Earths is where we're failing to get to. Oh, shit. Let's get there. Okay. Alright, so Crisis on Infinite Earths. Right. One of the biggest crossovers in history. It is the... It's the granddaddy of crossovers. It is the most important crossover in history, I would argue. Coming sooner? I mean, I've still been reading a lot of comics for the last decade now at this point, but having not been in the game as long, I got to it about a month ago. Oh, okay. I read it, I think, in college for the first time. And so I was going to... So... How, how is it that's what, in the so modern day? Like I, I wanted to start with you. What do you remember of your... Do you, did it leave enough of an impression that first time reading it? Because I didn't know how far back you went with this. I don't remember the first time I read it. I remember knowing what it was before I knew what it was. Like... Crisis has always had such a big influence on DC since it happened. And then in my first job, my job was basically to sit there for like eight hours. Mm -hmm. And if something went wrong, call someone and be like, oh my God, what do I do? Uh, At a radio station. So I just sat and I ended up like Wikipedia surfing. And a lot of times comic book characters, because I'm me. And there was always talk about Crisis. Oh, and because those comic book par- character Wikipedia pages tend to be long. Pre-crisis, and, post-crisis, too. And like not just other that, but they line. tend to be stupid long, so you can burn a lot of time. Yeah, it was a great way. I did that <laughs> and watched clips of Doctor Who on YouTube. It was it was a different time. Uh, <laughs> but 
the main thing I remember reading about uh, the first time is being like, holy shit, this is wordy. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, Marv Wolfman, who wrote it, and we'll do origin stuff in a minute, has always been a very wordy writer. And this might be his magnum opus when it comes to putting number of words per page. Like, holy shit. I, I have it digitally right next to me right here, and I'm scrolling through it, and there's a shit ton of words in this. There is just... I've been restarting it, and I haven't gotten super far, uh, because, as I said, the moment something's assigned work, it's homework, and I suck at homework. But uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying reading it, and I'm surprised I, almost how much more I'm enjoying the wordiness now than when I was 20, because I was not... I'd been reading Modern Marvel, and that was, like, right after Civil War, so it was the full, like, uh, minimal wording, lots of action era of comic books, or one of them. So it was really off-putting at first. And it, it, it's kind of interesting to read as an adult and be like, oh, this is actually really well-written, and not just like, oh, come on, get to the action scene. <laughs> so I, like I said, I came at it more recently. Mm. I, I've known about it for... Since I decided to start reading about, you know, reading comics more seriously uh, because of how large the shadow looms of the importance of the event. Uh, And I kind of knew the basics of what happened, I guess. I still only kind of know the basics of what happened and I've read it like three times. It's a weird book. I knew, I knew, I, I knew less than the basics, but I knew the two big standout deaths. Yeah. Um, Spoiler for a comic that came out in 1985. Barry Allen and Supergirl die in this. And that was that was Gwen Stacy big. And that's about all I knew going into it. I Honestly, I, I, I can't tell you now what I thought I knew about it going into it. Yeah. But now I re- as soon as I read it, I realized I was wrong. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting when there's a big famous storyline mm-hmm. in a comic that you haven't read before... Because you start to build the shape of it out of, like, the the stuff around it. Mm-hmm. Kind of out of the shadow of it. And reading it and being like, what was I right on? What was I wrong on? I, I had that for Craven's Last Hunt, where I had heard about it. But had never read it. And finally reading it and being like, oh, this was not quite what I was expecting it to be. But I like it. Before we get any more into what what we okay. think about... Give, let's get the history out first. Okay. So... Real quick, the basic story of Crisis is that a character named the Monitor is assembling heroes from across the DC multiverse to stop the Anti-Monitor, who is trying to destroy the DC multiverse. Well, let's universe. go more meta than that. Oh, I was going to do that, too. Oh, okay. But I also just, in case you haven't read Crisis, gotcha. this is the most, that's the most basic summary. Uh, where it really started is with Marv Wolfman. Uh, who wrote, and I just found out was also the editor on it, which has to be a power trip. Uh, he talked about when he was a kid, he watched The Prisoner, the the weird British show. And the part that stuck out to him was that it was it built as a limited series, which he had never seen before. Uh, he talks about this in the intro in the copy of the book that I have. And he was like, we should do a limited series for superheroes. That'd be perfect. And it should have all of them. (laughs) Every superhero. (laughs) And they'll fight a guy named the Librarian, who's been gathering all of the information on heroes. And he, like, brought it to Marvel and DC. And they're both like, no. We're good. And the part that just amuses me is, like, no one buys issue ones. 
they want really high numbering because then they know this book has like teeth. Mm. Which is funny because now issue one sell on average five times what issue two does. And it's a case of diminishing returns, which is why those books get relaunched every couple of years now. Right. As opposed to Thor 450, Thor, you know, Batman 666, which was a fun issue, admittedly. <laughs> uh, Grant Morrison was writing at that time. Oh, He's shit. like, I'm going to do stuff with this. Yeah. Uh, I love when Grant Morrison decides to do stuff. <laughs> but so they're like, this will never work. And then the comic book fandom started as we know it today and like Comic-Con and people suddenly were competing for issue ones. And he's like, oh my God, we could do my limited series now. They could fight the librarian, but not because <laughs> that's a terrible name. Oh. And Marv Wolfman had been writing like, and then on the other side of where this came from, Marv Wolfman had been writing Green Lantern as well as a couple of other things. But, and he got this letter being like, why did... How not know so and so? They met three years before, and he was like, "Oh, I don't know. Mm. Oh, our continuity such a mess. We have like eight different universes and keeping track of stuff. Oh God!" And this was in 1981. This is four years before the book came out, and he's like, "We're gonna. The company's having trouble, and our continuity's a mess, and we're th- this old fashioned. We should do a a, a mini series that rewrites everything, that straightens out continuity." That gives us a fresh start for anything we want to do. Oh my god, let's do that. And we'll use the librarian! (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so this was just, it was a fix. It was a really interesting fix because they were like, we're in trouble and no one's reading us. We talked about in the DC one, you were asking me like, are there any big storylines from early DC? And I didn't have an answer for you because there's not really... Uh, you know, there's good characters, there's fun stuff, but there's no Craven's Last Taunt. There's no Civil War. There's no mm-hmm. the, the the night when Stacy died moments. For DC. For DC, yeah. Yeah, for DC, the named storylines start with this. Yeah, they were kind of starting before this, but this is really where it takes off. Yeah, the ones that people talk about. Like, yeah, I mean, there obviously were ones before this. But, but it, it's like the first time Brainiac appeared. What's it called? I don't remember. Uh, mm-hmm. But... So, well, and I guess Titans, Teen Titans was big before this. And that's actually probably why they gave Marv Wolfman the job. He was writing New Teen Titans, which was like the number one or two selling comic book in the world at the time. It was between that and Uncanny X-Men during Chris Claremont's 80s, like, magic run. And then they got George Perez, who had uh, drawn Teen Titans. And I think George Perez is one of the unsung heroes of comic book art. Uh, his detail, his ability to get emotions is just incredible. His costume design is sometimes questionable, but uh, if you've never seen the first Nightwing costume that he designed, look it up. It's an experience. I've seen it. So I was coming in at new, Uh and it was rather recent, so I can give a lot of my first thoughts. Yeah. First off, I did not realize how many very little known today characters were going to be just front and fucking center in this comic. Yeah, they brought in, in the first issue, they bring in Firebrand. I forget Firebrand exists. There was a guy, because when they said they wanted to do every hero, they meant every hero. 
and they brought in a researcher and paid him to read every comic DC had ever produced at that time. And this was launched in 1985 for DC's 50th anniversary, so he was reading 50 years of weird fucking comic books. It took him two years to do it. Jesus. As research for this. Honestly, it's really weird because we're bringing this up partially because of the CW crossover. I suddenly started becoming very thankful to the CW shows using so many of these little-known characters. Right. Because I was able to way better follow along. I was like, I know that Dr. Light. I I will always... I know Solovar. <laughs> oh, God, Solovar. I will always appreciate small characters. I was on the Facebook page for a little while doing a... It was supposed to be top 15 comics of the decade, and I don't do daily chores well, so it was the top <laughs> five, and then I got distracted. It was like the best DC, but uh, if you watch that, it becomes real obvious real fast when I was like, weird side character book, weird side character book, this weird side character book, one Batman book, other weird side character book. I Give me Dr. Light, or Solovar, King of the Apes, or Blue Beetle, Firebrand, I don't, just give me weird. Right. But then my other, like I said, I was I was surprised how many of these smaller characters were thrust, smaller now at least. Mm -hmm. Oh, and, and they weren't big then, then yeah. either, but... Some of them have had higher popularity at different times. Mm -hmm. But then I was also just left wondering, who the fuck is Pariah? Who the fuck is Harbinger? And that's almost what, like, kept me... That was my the big mystery to me. I'm like, what's going on here? Yeah, apparently... Harbinger and the Monitor appeared before this in some Teen Titans book when he, before he realized he was able to use the Monitor for Crisis, he was like, oh, I'm never going to get to use the Monitor, whatever. I'll toss him in Titans because I liked the idea of a dude in a satellite mm. that knew all the information on heroes. Uh, and then when they got to use Crisis, he's like, perfect. And actually, like, it was the first time that they ever were like, brought all the editors together and went, you need to mention this in all of your comics twice you need to mention the monitor that he's some weird sale uh weapon salesman and considering that there were books across multiple dimensions at that point that was really weird mm -hmm. they were like wait why is the monitor appearing in infinity inc and captain marvel shazam and also in the justice league that shouldn't happen what is who is this guy so there was a whole lot of mystery. Harbinger is one of my examples of George Perez has such a distinctive character design style. You notice they do not use her costume very closely in the CW crossover no. series. And that's for the best. Because George Perez makes it look really good and anywhere else it looks real weird. Oof. Yeah, I'm re-looking at it right now. Although the monitor, they got surprisingly accurate to his look. Have and you it looks. seen... It works, that's what I'm saying. I know that you haven't gotten to the episode where they show him yet, but have you seen the Anti-Monitor? I have seen a picture of him. Okay. Um, he looks significantly less like a crab than uh, he does. He's got weird, like, crab egg face in the comics, and I actually really love the design. And I'm, I was kind of bummed they didn't do it, but I also super understand that, like... Creepy Nosferatu makeup was going to be a lot easier than George Perez's anti-monitor designs. Yeah, I'm I'm happy with the direction they took. <laughs> uh, one of my big notes about what helped me like Crisis so much. I, I okay. First off, my honest opinion, having read it recently, is yeah. it's a giant fucking mess. Oh, it's insane. 
I appreciate that they're the first ones to do this. Mm -hmm. Like, I understand they weren't working off a template, but this is a giant fucking mess. There is not nearly enough done to help you identify what the fuck's... Who is actually involved from what Earth at what time. Yeah, well, and, like, part of the reason other series have been able to do better on that front is they never had to confront something on the scale that Crisis did. And that's the other uh. thing. There's <laughs> so much... I mean, I it's going to be a mess anyway, even with those things in place, just because of how much they're taking on. And it's commendable that they were able to do it as well as they did. Uh, but damn. But damn. No, it's, it's a giant hot fucking mess. Yeah, I don't even try too much i'm like okay so firebrand i think is from earth too but i don't actually know for sure and i'm just gonna roll with it she's from not prime earth as long as i can figure that out i'll be okay from there uh i think if they would have shown that anti-monitor design earlier it would have i would have been more out of it you not a fan I'm at all i'm not a fan of <laughs> your design one bit. that's fair they've made attempts to update it but all of their updates just make it weirder instead of, like, cooler? Update it to the fucking CW version. That's <laughs> the one I'm liking best so far. Um, I don't know. I do not blame you. I didn't like it as, as, as a kid, and as I've gotten more fond of the weird edge of comic books, I've gotten fonder of the design. This was the most out-there cosmic, some of the most out-there cosmic that DC had really done up to this point. Like... Marvel had Adam Warlock and Captain Marvel and Jim Starlin writing weird space crazy. And this kind of space god stuff hadn't appeared as much in DC. There had been new gods, but outside of that, it didn't have the same scope of grandeur. So there was, you brought up the Monitor satellite. Mm -hmm. And once we're out on the satellite, how much should we go over the plot just a little bit more? I mean, as much as we can, the Monitor brings up heroes, and, God, I just read this yesterday, has to stop shadow demons, and I, there's not really that much of a plot to Infinite Crisis. The Monitor shows up, crazy shit happens, universe dies, universe is Universes reborn. are coming together, they're getting wiped out. Uh, well, universes aren't coming together yet. Right. Yeah, no, that happens later. Yeah. It's, as we said, it is so hard to explain because it's so hard to... It, it's so weird. And then that's going to happen anytime you deal with a multiverse, but... And especially in the beginning, continually... Because the monitor in the beginning is even then still just, like, continually testing them up to a certain point. Oh, yeah. Monitor is not really a good guy, but, like... I don't want he's the universe almost, to die, guy. Other than the fact that he's not wiping out shit, he's almost the bad guy the first third of yeah, the storyline. Yeah, uh, he, he does what so few space gods manage to do in comic books, which is actually feel like a higher form of life that is only kind of aware of what these people are Dealing doing. With? he's almost like celestial in Marvel level of like, he is primeval life that has is so much higher than humanity that he almost looks at us like how we look at like insects and he feels like it. And anytime you do that character, right, they are not likable. <laughs> uh, and he manages to be like, okay, well I need, 
out of the thousands of heroes, or thousands of... Worlds of thousands of heroes. Mm -hmm. I need these ones. And it's a weird choice. It's like Earth 2 Superman, so like Old Man Superman. As I said, Firebrand, who is a... I don't even know her backstory. I just know she's from World War II, and she's got fire powers, and she wears hot pants. Right. Um, uh, Dawnstar. Yeah, from the Legion, uh, who I don't know much about. They kind of stopped using her. Uh, Cyborg and Simon, from who's a villain of the of the Teen Titans. The Blue Beetle, Ted Kord, who, yes, I think that might have actually been where I started becoming a big Ted Kord fan, of seeing him somewhere where he got to do something pretty cool. Uh, Obsidian... Right, who is uh, the original Green Lantern's gay son. I don't think he was gay yet in the series, but... Later, retcon. Yeah, later came out as gay, and cool. Like Firestorm, Killer Frost. Oh, right. Oh, that was uncomfortable. They have the Psycho Pirate who can manipulate emotions. God, I love DC. The Psycho Pirate who can, who can make you feel your feelings, make Killer Frost... Who is not Caitlin Snow in this is just like angry murderous lady. Um, fall in love with Firestorm, and she just starts like trying to mack on him the whole time, and like, oh, it's fucking hilarious. Let's go away and have it. I'm like, wow, there's some weird consent issues happening here that I don't know how I feel about, but it's kind of funny. Which oh, no. the Flash CW in the first season, she was engaged Caitlin to Snow was engaged uh, Firestorm. To Firestorm. Ronnie Raymond. Mm-hmm. And in recent seasons, she's now Killer Frosted out most of the time. Yep. I didn't put that connection together at the time, but it's actually really brilliant. It's, um, yeah, it's so good. What the... Especially because Flash was the one that really set up the fact that they were working towards Crisis anyway. Yeah. I think um, Firestorm's a really underutilized character. Like, I, I, I don't think he gets the credit he's due. It's been a little better since CW has used him a couple times he used firestorm uh but even then most of the time they spent it with uh jason rush instead of ronnie raymond and i really loved the ronnie raymond and professor stein firestorm combo like it, it was just a a really fun book and if you like 80s books like if you can read that era comic books i i really highly recommend checking out his original series uh we also had geoforce right dr who... polaris in his old costume, too. Mm -hmm. Like, he gets a later updated costume that looks way better, <laughs> and that costume is an experience. Uh, I mean, we could keep going. Because the, there's more that come in and are important they to come the story. And they go, and then these people pop up, and then they die. It's When they say they use every character, they use every character. They use Anthro the Cave Boy. Right. I didn't know Anthro existed most of the time. There's uh, not much to him. You're not missing much. Multiple Superman. Yeah. Eventually. I, uh, I haven't gotten to that point in the CW, and it's the point I am most excited for as someone who grew up on Smallville and as someone who has later realized that Superman Returns sucks but really liked Brandon Ruth as Superman. But he might be the best part of the third episode. Uh, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm so into, like, six Supermen. And actually, we got, I, I did tell you about this, we got a request for a subject for a future we'll one. Superman. And that was going to be a Superman one, and I was going to say, we'll save the, the Superman actor question for that episode. Ooh. It's a great question. Take some time to think about it. We'll come back in a week or two. Okay. Um, so, everybody's gathered together. They all have a part to play. 
the first part the quantum towers start appearing the tower well they have to protect the towers yeah and they all fail they all fail it never goes well which was really depressing the first time I read it. Like, I, I was used to superheroes failing, but I was used to, like, one of the four groups or, like, two or three of the four groups failing. And they're just like, nope, you fucked up, you fucked up, you fucked up. I was surprised uh, just because, I mean, like, I ingest enough media to know that tropes tend to change over time. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure in this time period which way that was going to go, whether they were going to like, the f- complete failure yeah. surprised me. I didn't know if it was going to be like, they win, but, but... barely, or like... Or they win, but yeah. Anti-Monitor has... That was just to, you know, mm-hmm. keep them busy, because he's been working on this. That sort of and thing. And nope, they just... But no, they whoops. just suck at it. Yeah, superheroes lose a lot in the first, like, three quarters of this book, and then yes. they got a rally... And I know that's like classic trope of like not doing great, not doing great, not doing great. Rally for the final fight. But this was, this was rough. You watched a lot of people, a lot of green arrows die. <laughs> uh, shit. Where does it go from the towers? I do not remember at that point. The towers are where Dr. Light becomes important. Yeah. And I do not remember why Dr. Light is important other than she, she powers the shadow them. Demons. Oh, she beats the shadow demons. She can basically hold off the shadow demons almost by herself if she needs to Mm -hmm. once everything has been sort of condensed into the same place ish uh this is the second dr light the original dr light was a villain named arthur light who was a useless creepy shit that got beaten up by the original teen titans a lot and then this was dr kamiyo hoshi who is a rather unpleasant woman but very good at her job who is turned into a superhero uh i think just because they were George Press has always been pretty good about trying to bring in representation. So is it, I think it's, is it after the towers that the five remaining Earths get sucked into the other dimension? Yes. And then Psycho Pirate starts fucking with all of them? Yeah, because Psycho Pirate, I want to say, betrays the people? I don't really remember. Well, he gets super powered for a bit, and that's when we start getting all the hero on hero fighting. Oh, yeah. But then Barry Allen's able to get free. And runs. And and that's... They do have his death, as it was understood for years and years and years. Very well done, I thought. Very well done. But that's kind of their first win. Because that keeps the antimatter cannon from just destroying everything. But it's still such a loss. And again... If you've never read Crisis, I'm really sorry. This entire episode and us trying to explain the plot will not make sense. Does not make sense. Barry was actually not someone that Marv Wolfman wanted to kill, but DC had decided that Barry was boring. Does he die after Supergirl? Does that come first? Again, I don't. In my most recent reread is like, I'm two issues in and none of this has happened yet. I read it a month ago, and I watched the CWs last night, so those are way more fresh oh, in yeah. my mind. Well, and since there's 30 characters instead of a 1,000, it's just way easier to keep it on track. This comic was kind of like Infinity War. You don't go for the plot, you go for the spectacle. Barry Allen, they didn't want to kill because he liked The Flash, but they're like, oh, Flash is boring. Kill him and we'll do Wally West, and I hate to say it. 
I agreed with the DCX executives there. I loved Wally as Flash way more than I love Barry as Flash. But they specifically put in a way that it'd be really easy to bring him back. Because Marv was like hoping they'd be like, oh, that was a really good ending. You should, uh, we should do something with Barry. <laughs> Barry's my Flash only because I didn't care about Flash until the show. And that's why. Like, I grew up on, I got into Flash through the Grant Morrison Justice League, where Wally was my Flash. So when I was reading it, it was this, it was Nightwing done good. Like, it was a, a kid sidekick that grew up and really owned the role. Not, like, broke away to make his own thing, but replaced him in a way that I don't think any other comic has effectively done. When people ask me about The Flash, though, I let them know. Because I, it's weird, even before I read Crisis, I was like... The only reason Barry's my Flash is because I didn't care about the Flash when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have been my Flash if I would have decided to read the Flash as a kid. And in, that's something I know. In because of how big this event loomed. In the Justice League cartoon, it's Wally. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I thought was an interesting choice. And I think it's just because Wally was the Flash at the time. But that made me happy. Yeah, what happens next? Supergirl ends up dying, saving the world... And creates one of the all-time great comic book covers of Superman holding Supergirl's dead body and crying. Well, uh, I can't remember where it came in. Well, we'll talk about Supergirl first. Yeah, Supergirl, that was a great death, partially because it also showed that she was more powerful than Superman. That 80s headband costume? Oh, man. (laughs) Like, everyone thought a headband was a good idea in the 80s, and it was not. I will say... I really like Supergirl's new design in the TV show since I hadn't the mm. the one she picks up this season, which I hadn't seen before. That they even comment on in that episode. Yeah, they do. I, I wasn't sure when I saw the stills, but watching the show, it I didn't like the stills. It works so well in live action. Also, another place where Supergirl's a little more powerful than Superman, and I dig it. Like, not just faster, but just just better at it, or at least stronger. I remember she had a nice moment with Batgirl early on. I've always enjoyed the Batgirl, Supergirl. Uh, I saw little bits of it. I'm hoping to see more of the Batwoman, Supergirl in the CW. I like World's Finest where it's not just Clark and uh, Bruce, but other team-ups of the World's Finest. Uh, I mentioned earlier how much of a mess I felt parts of it were. Oh, yeah. There was one... There was at least one thing I might think of at least one more before we get done talking about mm-hmm. it but one thing stood out to me that i thought was really well done just because you kind of have to address it when you're throwing in everyone else and i think it would have vastly changed especially how the first at least the first three quarters of this played out was them specifically showing dark side sitting out yeah you, Darkseid and the Spectre are kind of characters that you have to, if you're going to do a cosmic-wide story, you have to deal with them. You can't just, like, they have to actively choose to not be involved or be written off in some way, because otherwise you're just like, what, why? Where's where's Darkseid in all of this? And I've, his inclusion changes most of this story, I feel like. And it's really smart to be like, nope. Darkseid sitting this one out for actually really good reasons. Really good Darkseid reasons. I 
<laughs> I love Darkseid. I he's probably the best part of the new gods. He's definitely the best part of he's the new gods. He's definitely the best part of the new gods. <laughs> and I completely lost track of where I was going. I like Darkseid. Darkseid's great. Oh, I was going to say I'm really disappointed that in the Justice League movie they're like, "Let's use Steppenwolf." Like, oh, why? Yeah. At least the Snyder cut. <laughs> sure, man, you're not going to do worse. So give it a sh- So far, every time they've done an extended version, it's been better, so that's true. Fuck it. <laughs> like uh we are definitely hitting some of this stuff out of order, but fuck it because Don't it's care. really Let's hard. Just it's talk. really hard to cover this comic because it's all over the fucking. It place. is like a good D and D campaign. It was it, smart of them when they entered the antimatter universe to depower the Superman because then you didn't know who was going to die. Yeah, I mean, at least you already knew who was going to die because this was as old as it is. But you know what I mean, like yeah. It, once it, you're sucked in, it ups the it ups the tension. Another thing of, like, you always have to deal with Darkseid and the Spectre is you kind of got to deal with Superman on some level in this story to keep it from being like, oh, Superman's here. My preference is using magic, but... Magic's a really good one. What I like is, even when it's not... Even when he's not powered, Superman ends up still being valuable just because he's Superman. Mm -hmm. I think it's what Brandon Ruth was really good at doing, of being that kind of, like, inspiring character of Superman. Can't wait. I know. (laughs) Um, In the middle section, when everybody first gets brought together, that is where I had a giant revelation. And what's that? Because something finally clicked when Alexander Luther is addressing everyone. His with his fucking ginger head and golden suit. Super fucking. Oh my god, that design is so eighties. I was suddenly like, oh. My God, I've seen this scene. Yeah. It's in issue 46 of the Saga of Swamp Thing. (laughs) Oh my God, I didn't know that. That was the crossover episode. Uh, I can't remember if it's right after or if it's at the end of the American Gothic storyline that introduced Constantine. Oh man. And that's when, because there's an aside after what we see in Crisis where... Alexander Luther goes to the side of the room and talks to Swamp Thing and to Constantine. And he says, he tells them, he's like, there's going to be a psychic fallout from all of this, but I'm not worried about it. Constantine here tells me you have it handled. Okay, that's awesome. That's Alan Moore being like, you're making me be involved, but I'm not going to do much. And it made me realize what important things happened during Crisis to Swamp Thing. The pictures of him and Abby that were used to imprison her mm-hmm. were taken with a red sky. Ooh. And the fallout, the psychic fallout, isn't a psychic fallout from Crisis. It was because the Brujeria used Crisis and everybody's panic to send a message to the original darkness. And that's when Sargon the Sorcerer and Z- uh, Zatan- uh, Zatanna got killed. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Zatara. Okay, so I know you were talking about how much of a mess the plot is to Infinite Crisis, but any comic book stories really quickly, like, and then this thing happened, and people are like, wait, what? <laughs> but that all happened at this pretty much the same time as Crisis. Yeah. My and fa- I was like, holy shit, I've seen this scene. <laughs> My favorite thing about Crisis is whenever anyone finds out about it in in universe finds out about it because at the end most people don't remember what happened exactly 
people are like, wait, what happened? And anytime you try to explain this comic to someone, it's the same like, wait, what happened? In and out of universe, you know it's big, but you know it's also completely nonsensical. I don't know if Alan Moore did it intentionally, but I think the way that Swamp Thing storyline with the original Darkness wraps up is a commentary on Crisis. And we can get to that because we should talk about how Crisis wraps up because it is mind-blowing and I fucking love it. Mm-hmm. Psycho Pirate ends up appearing. We'll get to that, sorry. Uh, well, okay, no, no, no. Psycho Pirate comes before. Yeah, but what I was going to say about Psycho Pirate is like three years later. Oh, okay. So you had the group go back in time to keep Krona from witnessing the birth of the universe. I love DC so much. By the way, we we didn't talk about this part at all. The the Guardians... Well, Chrono was one of the Guardians of the Universe. And he decided to see how the Universe was formed, and all the other Guardians were like, you you don't want to do that. That's that bad. We've banned that. Uh, He's like, fuck you guys. I'm going to do it anyway. And he sees, like, two giant hands forming the Universe... And, like, loses his mind and somehow becomes insanely powerful from that as well. Uh, But witnessing it also caused the universe to split. Which is where the multiverse came came from. from. Because before that, it was just a single universe. Okay, why does that make it split? I have never understood that. (sighs) Or is this somewhere where we just go, comics? I think... I think it introduced the possibility from the beginning of different choices if that makes sense Mm -hmm. the way things were made in the very beginning uh led to only a certain set of choices were made because there was only one universe yeah but his viewing of that mixed with like oh god it adds in random chance or something like that i mean it's basically the high he his viewing of it added the Heisenberg uncertainty principle to it. So now it is no longer certain and you have multiple chances of that universe. I actually really like that. Like, uh, it's weird. It's hard to explain, but it, it, it's cool when done right. And because that multiverses spill out. And so one of the groups, as they were trying to win in the end, and wasn't it the villain group? Probably. And were they even sent by the others? Probably not. I, again, I, I haven't gotten this far in my reread, and it's been a year or two since I last read it. It's been like five years since I last read it, so... They go back to try to keep Krona from creating the multiverse in the first place. Yeah. They're inept and villains and fuck with each other, and they fuck up, and he ends up viewing it anyway. Yeah. Because, again, they lose constantly. Uh, And that was almost more of like a comedy segment. It was like a comedy of errors where they just turn on each other because they're villains. Everything's going badly, so let's have at least funny going badly. Um, Well, and the DC villains of that time were so cartoony villain. Like, I mean, they still kind of are, but we're talking Dr. Light, Dr. Polaris. Every villain stereotype you can think of basically traces back to a DC villain of the Silver Age. So during this time... Now the villains are viewing the creation of the multiverse with Krona. Yeah. And the hand comes out like before, except this time, the Spectre shows up and reaches down and grabs the fucking hand and does his Spectre shit and basically pulls it all back into one universe. 
I love the Spectre because he's got <laughs> such wildly varying powers. He's like in his early same creator of Superman. I don't know if it's both Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, mm. but I know Siegel was involved. But in like some issues, he's just like a pale ghost dude, and in others, he pulls the multiverse into a single planet. Uh, and that's actually where I think the first time you get the idea of the JSA being heroes from World War II and the Justice League being ones that came years later, as opposed to two different Earth-1 and Earth-2 kind of setup that they've been doing in the in the TV shows. Right. Even after that, the Anti-Monitor is alive for a little bit, and that's where uh, Earth-2 Superman gets all fucking pissed because of everything that he's lost. Yeah, because he doesn't exist anymore Lois. in this. Like... Earth 2 Superman, I think Wonder Woman as well, are both written out of existence in this build. And there are a few others were as well, but they were already dead. Like, Batman was dead by this point. Robin and Huntress, who in this is the daughter of Batman and Catwoman version of the Huntress, both died before this. And Superman just kind of got left out. Soups 2 is pissed because he's like, Lois doesn't exist anymore. And really, the ultimate way to make Superman have a bad day is to fuck with Lois Lane. So he goes on a rage against Anti-Monitor and basically punches him almost into nothingness. I think they still end up needing some help from Darkseid or something. But then somebody, is it Prime? Oh no, Superboy Prime? Superboy Prime was a version of Superboy that came from... In theory, the Prime Universe. The idea is that uh, we live in the Prime Universe, so it's um, a world where DC is a bunch of comic books. And then this kid wakes up and he actually is Superboy, Superman. Uh, I know he's a big part of this. I know Alexander Luther, who is an alternate universe child of Lex Luthor and Lois Lane. Earth 3? Yes, because yes. he's from the Crime Syndicate Earth. Help out. Uh, there's Harbinger, who was... Monitor's assistant somehow trying to help out. And then there's Pariah, who accidentally freed the Anti-Monitor. And now he has to watch Earth die. He he has to witness all the destruction that the Anti-Monitor brings, basically. Yeah. He's like the shittiest Herald of Galactus. It, his <laughs> life sucks. He's not like, look, I found you this world to devour. He's like, oh, damn it. I have to watch more people die. Okay, here's my question. As someone who hasn't watched Flash in like three years, which version of that character is Pariah in this one? Okay, so let's he... wrap let's wrap up the comic real okay, quick. Okay, and then, and we'll, then talk. we'll talk. Okay, about that's it. fair. Because yeah, they all help out, and then like Superboy Prime and Alexander Luther are like, "Look, turns out that we just hid Lois away so that you would be pissed, so that you would punch Anti Monitor really hard, which is fucking rude." <laughs> <laughs> but we're all gonna whisk you guys away. Along with Earth 2 Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. I likened it to, like, King Arthur, basically. Yeah, it's super got that King Arthur. They're going to go live in a little pocket universe and be happy. And that doesn't really work out, but that's a sequel series, like, 20 years later. So not super important to this. Happy ever after. Now everything is <laughs> assumed to be a single universe, even though even the art indicates that it's shattered back into some sort of multiverse. Oh, yeah. They, they, there was never going to be a way to do away with the multiverse, but they just needed all of the books they were publishing to be in the same universe. And that's what happens. Uh, yeah. Because at that point, they had books coming out of Earth 1, Earth 2, Earth X, Earth S was Shazam. Like, it was just... There was like six different realities that they were trying to keep track of, and it didn't... 
And that didn't count trying to figure out what some of the older shit that they weren't using. Where that fit. Yeah. Where those things happened. And it definitely had some fallout. Uh, The Legion of Superheroes was a giant mess for years. Supergirl was... Supergirl was a mess until about 2005. Because they were like, there can only be one Kryptonian. But we still want to use Supergirl because, well, we like the character and she sells. But some really great comics came out of this. Batman Year One was an attempt to retell Batman's origin post-crisis. Like, this is really what happened. So, and it's the most, one of the two most famous Batman stories. It's, it's the good Frank Miller Batman story. Uh, Oh, you also have issues with the other one? I hate Dark Knight Returns. I don't hate it, but I have issues, way more issues with it than other people seem to. Uh, yeah. Um, we also got John Byrne took over Superman and most of the modern, like, Lex Luthor is a uh, industrialist. All come from that. From bef- before that, he was just straight up crazy mad scientist. Mm-hmm. He made a planet named Lexor yes. that was full of Lex Luthers. Thank you, Lex. Yes, <laughs> it's the uh, it, it's the super crazy kind of stuff. And then we got a much more realistic. George Perez went on to create Wonder Woman, uh, or not create Wonder Woman, but rewrite Wonder Woman for this new era. And it's the weakest of the three I mentioned, even though George Perez is my favorite of those three creators. Mm-hmm. It just, it was kind of wordy, and it's a little more dated than the other two, where it didn't pull off the timeless nearly as well as both Man of Steel by John Byrne and uh, Year One by Miller and Mizzaloon something. Hmm. Oh, I just wanted to, so I just want to finish the thought I was having because on, on the Swamp Thing thing that I was mentioning before that I think Alan Moore might have commented a little bit of a meta commentary on crisis with his fallout from crisis quote unquote fallout. But that's more cause it had way more to do with the swamp thing universe, yeah. but Alexander Luther technically sent them on that mission. So whatever OG darkness shows back up, which it's supposed to be literally the first evil that's a classic Alan Moore trope right there. I believe it. And the uh, the Brujeria summoned it so that it would destroy heaven. All the supernatural heroes are going against it and failing, including the Spectre. It knocks Spectre the fuck out. Yeah, that's impressive. Because they keep... You can't really attack it. It's basically just like a giant it's moving darkness. black. Uh, it's indicated to be kind of scaly and shit. Like it has an oh, outer... Interesting. Outer surface but it doesn't seem to have an outer surface it absorbs whatever it wants to but yeah. other shit just bounces off and every time it pulls shit into it it's like it's asking them like what is evil and they're all like evils like what i fucking stomp and shit <laughs> <laughs> and it keeps going like okay well you just taught me about revenge oh, <laughs> that sort of thing okay and if pull Swamp Thing in and Swamp Thing's like, look, I just spent the last year like going on these missions because this guy kept telling me that it would teach me more. And I don't know what it taught me, except that now I've seen a lot of evil. And I don't, I don't know what evil is. Like, I keep seeing that it seems to be pointless and stuff. But at the same time, I'm now connected to everything. And animals eat, like, animals eat plants. Then other animals eat those animals. And there's all this death and chaos going on, but it keeps feeding into this cycle. Mm-hmm. And he gives a really poetic breakdown of all that shit. And the thing's like, okay, I, 
I kind of see what you're getting at. And then let's swamp thing out instead of mm. knocking him out and throwing him out. And it still reaches towards heaven. But when it does, instead of attacking it, it forms into a hand and a hand comes down. Oh, from so heaven. in that version, it's the one of the two hands that kind of is shaping reality. Reality. And a hand comes down to meet it and they grasp each other. And everyone's like, what? What just happened? God, I haven't read Swamp Thing in forever. And they're like, does that mean good and evil no longer exist? And they're just like, no, I think the relationship's just changed a little bit. <laughs> so you think that's his meta message? Like, what do you think the message is there? Just... Well, so on a, metal, on a metal level, Crisis on Infinite Earths was cleaning up the timeline. Yeah. Uh, doing that meant uh, conglomerating and getting rid of characters from these different eras. Specifically, before this would have been the Golden and Silver Age. Mm, this is really heart of the Bronze Age where this is going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is where it's happening, but you have these different iterations of these characters from these different ages where characters were uh, very much shown in different ways. Yeah. Golden Age heroes are all paragons of virtue. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you're having them shake hands with and evil, so, so basically. So now you have a reforming of the universe where mm-hmm. things are complicated now. Now we're not having just these pure good beings going against these purely evil beings. We're this moving is, into this modern age where... This is weirdly beautiful for Alan Moore. I like Alan Moore, but a lot of times I'm reading him for like anger and cynicism. I really need to reread Swamp Thing because it's where he had his most pretty, I feel like. Uh, and I've maybe he didn't intend it that way, but I think it's very easy I'm to read it, it just... as being like, we're entering a new age where things are complicated. We don't have just these, you know, the Golden Age heroes. We might still have the Golden Age ideals. But we don't always have the Golden Age heroes. Yeah, I like that a lot. You... And then, of course, he's written things to show very much that he's very much about embracing characters that have to embrace the dark and shit a little bit yeah. at times. And, uh... and deal with true darkness. On... <laughs> yeah, Moore is not a happy fellow, from what no. I can tell. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, Psycho Pirate actually ends up remembering the crisis. He's one of the only people that does. And ends up going insane, ending up in an insane asylum, and having a really good Grant Morrison storyline where he meets with Animal Man and helps Animal Man realize that he's living in a comic book. And then Animal Man takes a bunch of peyote and really drives home that he's living in a comic book. (laughs) Such a good run. If you like Sandman... Or Swamp Thing, you'll like that Animal Man run. It's on my to read. Going into the TV show, it's almost a good thing that you've only seen the first Mm -hmm. episode. Because that is the one that pays most homage to. Yeah. It gets further and further the further you go into the... It is real interesting also just to watch the show because I haven't seen this since like season 5. We're on season 8. It's kind of like going back to an Avengers comic from 20 years ago and being like, what is even happening in this? Like, it's just a different world. Um, Which was kind of fun to see. So the Nash that's Pariah Mm -hmm. is a new one from this season. He's been a new one every season at this point. Okay, so I I didn't know if he was the Earth 2 one or not. This one is basically uh, interdimensional, kind of a dickhead Indiana Jones Nash. Where he, but he's been specifically trying to figure out the the mystery of the 
I, he thinks he's tracking down the monitor, but he accidentally ends up finding the anti monitor. Okay. And he's he's uh, I don't know. Indiana Jones might be a little bit off, but it's still the same sort the of thing. adventure kind of archaeologist guy. Okay, that's good. Um, it, it was just interesting because I haven't, as I said last time I saw it was Angry Earth Two Nash hanging out for a minute. When did what happened with Lila? Like I know she's Harbinger now, but how did she become Harbinger? Um, that's something I actually am not too sure of. Uh, that's been happening more on Arrow, and I haven't been keeping caught up on Arrow this season. Yeah. Uh, I've been keeping caught up on Flash, Supergirl, um, and Legends has yet to air this season. I will say, if I had not read Infinite or Crisis on Infinite Earths before, I would have had, as someone coming in relatively clean, uh, I would have had no idea what was going on there. That was... I was confused as someone who knows all of these characters, like... I'm mostly, I'm confused seeing Mia Smoke, Ollie's daughter. Yeah, I'm not sure what the deal is there. I like her so far, and I like parent Oliver. I like watching Oliver not try to be Batman Begins Batman. Uh, yeah. That makes me more excited for, uh, yeah, it's my making... plan is to get caught up on Arrow once it's done this season. I think. Which is in like two more episodes. Yeah, because this is the end of Arrow, which, that's brave. Like, because Arrow has been their their headlining show, ending it with Crisis is not what I expected. Uh, I did, I, I mostly made a couple notes from that first episode about how it immediately differed from the comic. Yeah. Like, it's indicated from that intro that they just had a multiverse from the get-go. Yeah. That just, that's how it works, as opposed to Cronus Heisenberg. Uh, I did notice that they still had the ray fly straight into the oncoming antimatter yeah that's over on earth x which they did a crisis on earth x a couple seasons ago that was pretty fun yeah um their earth x isn't they're still fighting world war ii their earth x is the nazis won and yeah. all, the, all the heroes are now nazis and that's where um the ray and a like gay captain cold who's a hero yep came in citizen cold citizen cold that's it god that's such a goofy name and the, but then I also immediately had to make a note. I'm like, oh shit! When Argo's destroying, that's kind of that's got to be an Alexander Luther nod, right? Yeah, I imagine <laughs> they're going to use Jonathan in a pretty Alexander kind of way, or at least some way. I I just like it because I really like the Superman series where he has a son. Uh, it came out a couple of years ago. I super recommend it. Um, I guess w what are your questions? And then I have a couple of the big takeaways that I had, and then that's probably a good place to end it off. Yeah, I, I mostly I don't even know if I have questions yet because I'm just trying to watch and see what happens. Like I, I'm curious how Supergirl and his, her sister had a falling out or not had a falling out or possibly had a falling out and then got better. Uh, that's mostly just I need to watch Supergirl. But she makes some comment to Lena Luthor of like, I was not lying about hating Supergirl. And I'm like, wait, you were just like hugging her. I don't know if she ever hugged her, but... Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I know, yeah, that, that had to do with last season. That's what I figured. I was really confused for the second about that, but... I, I thought you meant when uh, Lena and... Um... I'm also curious what's happening with Lena and Supergirl's sister and Lena, all that. Lena's in the right right now. Some okay. of her actions have not been in the right lately. That's fair. But... Mm, 
I'll accept Lena being like... Kara and her sister have had a verbal tongue lashing a long time coming. Good. Uh, I I like Lena because I was getting hints from what I've seen of her character, because I haven't watched that far in Supergirl, of kind of what I liked about Smallville Lex, but which way she's going to end is much more up in the air, while with Lex you always knew that he was gonna be evil at the end, like... There's no way Anakin's coming out of Star Wars as anything other than Darth Vader. There's no way Lex is ever going to come out of it as anything other than Superman's greatest enemy. With Lena, the will she be a hero or villain, I don't actually know the answer to that. So, like, it's refreshing. The Supes and Lois interactions have me excited that they're getting the spinoff. Oh, yeah. I'd... Tyler Hot- I've seen them interact before, but this has been a lot more. Is it Hotchlin? Hotchlin? I don't know. Tyler- I meant to look that up. That that Superman does a great job. He does the friendly, relatable Superman in a way that no one has since uh, since Christopher Reeves, if we're honest. I'm super happy that they're using the main two legends so much. Yeah. Well, I think Brandon Ruth is leaving. He's leaving this season. Uh, Sarah is staying on, I believe. I, I bet you Brandon Ruth is going to die in crisis if he's leaving this season. I think it's going to be slightly more complicated. Probably. I think it's, it's Legends. It's a time travel show. Well, unless they bring in... Because I think his real life wife is also leaving. Because she's been a recurring Oh, Legends. who is she? Um, she's been Nora Dark. Oh, Okay. And their characters just got together last season. At the end of last season. I remember reading the... So I think they'll find some way to send them off together. That makes sense. I I, I remember reading the, uh, him talking about leaving, and it didn't sound like it was really his choice, but not that he's, like, super mad about it, and I could have totally misread that. He looks like he's having the time of his life. He was probably my favorite part of any team up that he was in in that first episode um i do i feel overall as far as team ups go by the way that they're doing the this crossover way better than any of the others as far as the crossing over is concerned uh most of the crossovers in the past the episodes have felt like episodes of that show with like some of the yeah hangers on this did not feel like superman or supergirl sorry this felt like crisis yeah it, there's a lot of Ollie shit in this episode. Yeah, um, and I'm imagining there will be more in more. I mean, there was still more Supergirl in this than anything else, but it was still much more balanced. Some of the big takeaways from the episode, as someone who has been following very mm-hmm. closely, is that it confirmed that Batgirl is already in the same universe as Flash and Arrow, Batwoman. Batwoman. Sorry, just bad. making sure. Yeah, I saw that with Earth One, and I had never been sure where Batwoman fit. Nobody in. was. That confirmed it, and it that was just kind of neat, and it makes tidying up at the end a lot easier. Here's my question: Do you think they're going to work Supergirl into one Earth? Are they going to combine the Earths? I think they're going to combine a lot of the Earths, but even if they don't, now them just knowing that some of them exist open up possibilities. Yeah. Like Black Lightnings is the big one. Mm, That's true. I know he does show up. He's just not there yet. Yeah. I kind of hope they do combine the two Earths and just have it so Supergirl's on the same Earth as Flash and 
whatever happens. I don't think uh, they're going to do it because I think it just gives them more ways to be like, this is why Supergirl isn't here. Yep, that's fair. I mean, that is always the big thing of like, I have to deal with this. Why don't you call the rest of the Justice League? This could be done in like 20 minutes. Batman. He's always super guilty of that. The Shadow Demons were pansies, but I get it. Shadow Demons are always... It's, it's the ninja theory. One Shadow Demon is going to be super dangerous. Every, like, 100 Shadow Demons is going to be useless. Apparently shadows are killed by arrows, which is good to know. Uh, I'm really glad that this pariah isn't as screamy. Yeah, he's pretty screamy in the comic book. What's this actor's name? Do you... Oh, Tom Cavanaugh. Tom Cavanaugh overacts so easily and it's kind of what i like about him it's why he's perfect for like a superhero show but he overacts so easily that they don't need shouty oh my god uh pariah as much as like still super sad about this i got the sense it's much earlier in his career as pariah while pariah when you first meet him in infinite crisis sounds like he's been doing this for like decades who knows how long he's been watching this antimatter explosion right take out stuff i just to further try to sell legends even though i know that it's just more on you need time but when they mention woodstock they fought a unicorn at woodstock god i gotta watch the show <laughs> uh this is making me want to watch less letter kenny and watch more of this which is impressive because all i've wanted to watch for the last like two weeks is letter kenny there's more things that I'd like to say about Crisis, but with you wanting to watch it so much... Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. I kind of feel like maybe we should cut it off at this episode. All right, that's fair. And then Crisis actually ends between now and next week. Yeah, so we're talking about the first episode, and the people listening, if you watch these shows, will have all of them. Uh, so we haven't talked about it at all yet, but if you don't mind me proposing an yeah. idea for next week and what we could talk about crisis right part now, two crisis part two mixed with what we thought about the ending of the mandalorian okay this will be tv shows catch-up episode next week I because like we that. talked about both of them before they were actually finished perfect i'd ask you if they want to come along i might still so they could talk mandalorian they're going to give me such confused looks over the crisis part they did every time they walked past Walmart <laughs> today. Okay, so I suppose let's wrap up to our final bit. What's some recommendations you got for people this week? What's your recommendations first? I'm you forgot about this, this, didn't you? Yeah. No, I thought uh, I was thinking about it. I had one, but okay, I'll do Avengers Volume Four. It's from the '90s, right in the Hero Reborn. It's written by Kurt Busiek and drawn by George Perez for the most part, who's the guy who did Crisis who, as I said, I think is a really underrated comic book artist. It is artistically one of the best runs. It is also a little wordy and a little complicated, so it's very George Perez. But, uh, yeah, I'll do that. And then I'm going to go completely out of left field. Niccolo Machiavelli's The Prince. Oh, nice. Because I have been listening to Niccolo Machiavelli's The Prince in the Art of Wargaming, we are doing, the other podcast I'm in, we are about to start his Niccolo, Niccolo Machiavelli's Art of War, but my copy isn't here yet, so I've been listening to The Prince just to get like a better idea. Mm -hmm. um, it is a 400-year-old manuscript by a Italian politician who thought he was super brilliant, so it is 
weird and wordy and unlike anything else I've recommended for this, but it's good reading. Uh, it I is not thought... a code to live your life by. It was satire. It was arguably satire. It was also possibly a trap because there were some places where people were like, that's terrible advice. Uh, I've always described it as uh, how to keep control of a nation once you own one. It did not work. He <laughs> like gave it to, he dedicated it to the Medici family. Either as like, please let me have my job back. I want to be a politician so bad. This is how you would do your thing, even though it's not a government I support. <laughs> or is possibly him just ripping the Medici family. And either way, it's kind of interesting. It's just, Renaissance writing is wordy. Yes. Uh, the intro of the audiobook was like, he used such a concise style. And I'm listening, being like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> this is concise? That's funny. Um, yeah, okay, so we were mentioning Hickman earlier. Yeah. Uh, my favorite thing that I've read from Hickman is East of West, and that would be my recommendation. I haven't read East of West. East of West is this crazy, futuristic, mystic western where uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, uh, the other three have turned on death, and he's riding as this... Clint Eastwoodish lone rider with two Native American henchmen as you and it's kind of a mystery you don't know exactly what's going on at first you don't even realize that they have betrayed him at first and you don't know why and you just gradually learn more of the backstory That's while his story goes plot, plot point uh, have you ever read he did the first secret warriors book and it was basically him doing like spy stuff Oh no! It, okay. It's his Nick Fury book. It's and it's old school, old white World War Two vet Nick Fury. It's okay. It's Ooh. super weird, but it's really good. He also did a. I'm sorry, I'm taking over your recommendations, but last one is he wrote a Shield series where one of the main characters is Leonardo da Vinci, and you find out that Shield is the like most modern version of a secret society that traces back like to ancient Egypt. It's like S.H.I.E.L.D. meets Assassin's Creed Assassins. Uh, super check it out if you get a chance. Do you have any other recommendations for us? No, that's mostly it. It's also worth mentioning, I thought it was really cool, because as you learn the backstory and everything, mm. it's technically an alternate history United States, where the equivalent of a nuclear event happened during the Civil War and caused the splintering of the major powers into like seven different Okay. Areas. That, wow, that's a sell right there, just seeing what that would be. And then adding on death, sure. Awesome. Yeah, adding on the fact that, like, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are real. And after this uh, giant event, this person was given a new prophecy of Revelation, basically, that slightly mirrors the actual book of Revelation. And it's weird. Nice. <laughs> Sounds like we're saying listen to, or not listen, read Jonathan Hickman, read George Perez. Oh my God, I want to create a team up of them now. Um, <laughs> read Niccolo Machiavelli. Enjoy stuff. Subscribe to us. Listen to us. Please do. That would be awesome. You can always go check out the backlog of episodes that we're starting to actually have since it's, we continue to do this week after week. It's kind of nice to actually look and be like, oh, this is starting to feel way more real now that I have like uh, stuff to show. 
that you can find that over generalnerdcast.com. Uh, the links through the site will show you that we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network. You can check out the other shows on there as that all continues to grow. You can contact us through the website or generalnerdcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you're thinking. Give us reviews. Give us hate mail. I'll read the first hate mail we'll get on the air. That sounds hilarious to Ask me. us questions. Yeah, that'd be great. Tell, tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Give us ideas for subjects. PG-13. Maybe R. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Probably not NC-17. No, no, we probably... Yeah, anyways, you're good at the joke we're making That guarantees a box here. office bomb. Oof, God, it just can't sell. Uh, if you can't make a toy of it that you can sell to children, it's a lot harder to do big big box office movies. That's true. Um, that's all I have. Yeah? Thanks for listening. Uh, in the meantime, we're your generals of nerdery. Dismissed! Dismissed.